And in this episode, we sit down with Luke McLaughlin, the founder and head instructor at Holistic Survival School right in the greater Asheville area. And we talk about all sorts of things from ancestral skills and knowledge, primitive fire making to surviving in the wild for 21 days and 40 days and being on a Discovery TV show. There is a lot in this episode. Let's start with a soundbite from Luke. Yeah, my my mission in this world is to help people to remember their wildness and wholeness um, in being a human in this world and how to connect with the natural world. So my school, Holistic Survival School, teaches adults how to come back to the earth and make things out of our local landscape, how to make our own food, our own medicine, um, and really just um, how to, what it means, remember what it means to be human again, is one way I like to say it. Welcome to Making It in Asheville, a podcast where you get to hear the stories behind some of your favorite artists and businesses here in town. Each episode, we interview a different local Ashevillian and we work to uncover their story, how they're making it in Asheville, and provide you with actionable insights and learnings from each conversation. And we are your hosts. That was Sarah and I am Tony. We are a husband and wife team that moved to Asheville in May of 2019. Since then, we've set out to answer a single question, and that question is, how does one make it in Asheville? This podcast is the result. And today we have a very different, very exciting guest. Uh, his name is Luke, and we go deep onto some ancestral knowledge and uh, survival skills. But before we tell you about today's episode, let's do a quick little sound bite and sponsorship shout out to Range Urgent Care. And so Range, you might remember from the episode a couple weeks ago, is a really unique uh, urgent care clinic in Asheville. It's right on Merriman Ave in North Asheville. And uh, they are doing things fundamentally different from a lot of urgent cares that I say exist in the United States. Uh, and one of the primary differences is in their payment structure, which is completely transparent. So anytime you go to range urgent care, you're either paying $149 or you are a subscription member and you pay a call it $30 a month subscription fee. It changes based on if you're a family plan or a single person or a business. Um, but that type of transparency is huge when it comes to healthcare. And they're also doing a lot of things differently, I think, in terms of the quality of the service that they offer, the friendliness of their staff, and the overall comfort level. So they have things like virtual visits. So if you just need to like check in with a doctor, you can call in with them. You can schedule your appointment ahead of time, so Huge you don't deal. have to wait in a waiting room for hours on end, which you probably would have to do in a you know hospital setting. Um, Range is great if you have something like a sore throat that you just want to get checked out. Um, you need to get a physical, an x-ray, any kind of treatment that's like non-life-threatening or emergency. Would you call emergency. it urgent but not an emergency? <laughs> urgent but not an emergency. Okay. Um, they do a fantastic job of all of that. And like Tony said, um, it's fantastic for, I think, uh, self-employed, small businesses because it, you know exactly what you're going to be paying before you go in um, and you can kind of get the kind of care that I think most people would want. Most people would want, especially uh, a community like Asheville. I think it's a perfect yeah. fit. We're so excited that they exist in our town. And so if you are uh, as interested as we were when we heard about Range and their offering, uh, what we would say is 
visit makingitinashville.com forward slash range. We have a page with even more information on uh, Range Urgent Care, but we also have a very exclusive offer from Range to you because you listen to this podcast, and that is a one free month in an annual membership, and that works on any of the membership plans. So whether it's a single person membership, a family membership, a business membership, uh, so visit makingitinashville.com forward slash range to see more about this special uh, offer. So now to episode 55 with Luke McLaughlin. Sarah, what did you think? So, because I geek out about all things outdoor wilderness survival and holistic and all. So how did you feel in this conversation with Luke? Yeah, so I think I went into this conversation being like, oh, I'm not really that interested in survival, school, uh, survival skills um, and kind of like, I think you're expecting a certain persona of Luke, which is not at all what I got. Um, Luke is so sweet and and his message and his mission really goes beyond just learning how to build a fire it goes into things like healing past traumas and dealing with you know inner psychological problems by way of nature and so that's the aspect that i really really loved about his mission and his story of um you know going deeper beyond just like i said building a fire or making a knife yeah, I uh, I agree. I th- I was I was struck by that as well. I wasn't exactly sure on who Luke would be. I've followed him now for a while. I uh, I've seen you know highlights from Naked and Afraid, this huge show that's on Discovery Channel that uh, he's been on three times and I believe successfully completed all three times, at least twice for sure. Um, but I don't know as much about the third time he's on the show. And so uh, yeah, like I had a sense of who he might be, but I. I was really struck by the three R's that coming kept coming up. So one is this rewilding language that he used, like finding that wild human inside of you. Uh, the idea of like relearning, uh, and now I can't remember the third remembering. R. Remembering, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like uh, those three R's were just I find like there I am called to it, and I love the way that he communicated the process with which you might begin to explore some of these feelings because um, it feel it felt really uh, accessible and approachable. Yeah. And he made it very clear that you don't need to ever want necessarily to be on a show like Naked and Afraid. It's not for everyone. But this, uh, I'd say, exploration and the intention of trying to reconnect and relearn what it is to be fully present as a human yeah is a worthwhile, um, I'd say, adventure. Yeah. So we talk a lot about his story, how he got into this whole wilderness world. Uh, We talk about his experience on Naked and Afraid uh, and how all of that happened. And we talk a little bit also about his business and and how he's grown his holistic survival school here in the Asheville area to what it is today. Mm. Um, And and then I, I think the last thing that I'll add before we dive into it is that I think there are a lot of skills here that are applicable to anyone, whether you're interested in wilderness or not, um, one of the things that we he really stressed in here is just finding your edge or mm-hmm. finding the thing that you're you're scared of and and sort of facing that fear. Um, so I don't want to spoil it, 
we'll get into it. Yeah, no, I think that that's a perfect way to uh, create the cliffhanger. Uh, there are most certainly uh, applicable applicable business lessons here, both in the way that he's strategically changed the way his business teaches some of these lessons uh, and that idea of finding edges. And so without further ado, please, please enjoy episode 55 uh, with Luke from Holistic Survival School right here in Asheville. That is how a professional podcast gets started, so look alive. <laughs> um, cool. So welcome, Luke. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we want to just kind of open the floor and just allow you to introduce yourself and say a little bit about what you're up to today. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'm Luke McLaughlin. I'm the founder and director of Holistic Survival School, um, based in the greater Asheville area. Um yeah, my my mission in this world is to help people to remember their wildness and wholeness um, in being a human in this world and how to connect with the natural world. So my school, Holistic Survival School, teaches adults how to come back to the earth and make things out of our local landscape, how to make our own food, our own medicine, um, and really just um, how to, what it means, remember what it means to be human again is one way I like to say it. Whoa. That is uh, not a, I would say that's not like trivial. That's, it sounds like a huge objective and a, and a, and a big real goal. And uh, I'd argue that the big real kind of, to quote some business books, the hairy audacious goal is a good <laughs> goal to have. So how did that, has that always been the goal? Like, is that a relatively new mission statement? Um, because it sounds very clear. You had a, I think you said mm -hmm. that wonderfully. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Um, I think it's always been within me, you know, that, that mission, I'd say that's like my soul's work in this world, if you will. And only in the last few years have I been able to get more of a language around it and get really succinct and clear with it. Um, and that's been extremely helpful, you know, in making decisions in business or in life. That's kind of my North star is like this commitment statement of like, well, what am I doing again? You know? And so when things come up, I can just kind of hold that these options in front of me and be like okay well is this in alignment with my soul's work or not and then everything is pretty pretty clear um so no it's 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 a more recent thing and um it's been as life can be it's been this um an unveiling or unfurling of my of my mission right like um i was a um biology ninth grade biology teacher for a short while wow. and you know that was kind of my original mission was like well I'll teach and I'll mentor and there was truth in that that you know that was part of my work in this world um, but doing it in a setting where I'm in a public school with you know restrictions and limitations on what I could teach wasn't the truest sense of how I could show up in this world so um, yeah so since then since basically my mid twenties have kind of been refining and getting closer and closer to what feels most alive um, when I share and how I what I'm what I'm doing here. So, um, yeah, it's definitely been an evolving process. Wow! And and walk us through a little bit the timeline here. So, uh, sure. you were a biology teacher, uh, <laughs> and then 
you know, was there something that happened before that that sort of shaped your interest in nature or um, was something after that that sort of made you change course? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I started in high school. One of my nick my nickname was like the hippie jock. So I was like kind of always in both worlds. But like I, I played sports like sports was like my passion. I played three varsity sports and was captain of all three teams. And oh. like, this is just what I did. Like, I just love the camaraderie. I love the challenge and the physicality. Um, I loved feeling my power in sports, you know, just like being able to unleash that. Um, cause most of the time in my life, I wasn't feeling my power. So sports were, it was a way to, to feel that. Um, but I also grew up, you know, fishing and my dad was a big hunter and got me out a lot. And, um, I was always wanting to be barefoot. Like even when I was a little kid, I like, I was only spanked like three times is the story in my family, you know, and, like all three times it was like refusing to put on shoes. So, um, so there's always been this streak of kind of wildness where I wanted my feet in the dirt and, um, both my parents were teachers and because I loved sports and I was really lucky, I was mentored by a lot of amazing coaches. Um, so I wanted to give back and mentor as well. And the best way that I saw at the time to mentor people was to be a teacher, was to spend hours and hours in the classroom with these kids and then spend hours and hours with them on the football field or on the basketball court. Um, and so that was the, one of the biggest reasons why I went into education. I, I love teaching. I love sharing my passions and getting people geeked out on, on things that I was geeked out about. And um, so that's why I was a teacher for the first while. And it was really beautiful in that mentoring. I loved it. Um, but the way I always say it is it felt like, it felt like I was a bad dad. Like I felt like I couldn't really give the things that these kids needed the most because I had six classes of 30 kids and each kid presented their own, you know, you needed to see the kid as a whole to mm. really be able to mentor them in, the, in a great way. So I didn't have the time. Um, I remember kids coming to me because they trusted me. A lot of my athletes that I was, you know, coaching, they'd come to me with really serious issues. Like, you know, I got my girlfriend pregnant at, at 14 and my dad, you know, yelled at me last night and abused me. And like, I legally as a teacher couldn't help them. You know, I had to send them to the school counselor and they had no relationship with the school counselor and they didn't want to talk to that person. And so I just felt like my hands were kind of tied behind my back about what I could do and couldn't do. And that broke my heart. You know, that was like really, really hard. And so um, I said, like, you know, I legally had to teach them about like ribosomes and like cell nucleus and all these things. I'm like, why? This isn't applicable at all. This is yeah. completely silly. And um, so I said, there's got to be a way to teach these kids about emotions and feeling and how to feed themselves and where does our food come from? And some of these more, what I was viewing as more fundamental, you know, problems that, um, that society wasn't teaching these kids. So, yeah. so I stopped, I stopped. Um, and about, uh, about that same time at about age 25, um, I went into grad school for a little bit after that and did some more biology, but, um, that wasn't fulfilling either. And I had always known in my life that I wanted to be like a mountain man or, uh, you know, like, uh, a lumberjack was like the archetype I had as a kid. That was like my closest idea of what it would look like to live in connection with the, with the yeah. earth and with nature. And just for context, where, yeah. A, where did you grow up and then where did you uh -huh. teach? 
Yeah, I grew up in Lansing, Michigan area, so a little town called Mason, Michigan, um, southern part of Michigan. Um, and I was I went to Grand Valley State, which is a small college um, close to Grand Rapids, Michigan, on the west side. And I was teaching um, at East Kentwood um, freshman campus. So, um, but yeah, just after my student teaching, I stuck around for a little bit, but mm-hmm. um, didn't didn't last too long. So. Um, so the quest to yeah. become a mountain man begins around yeah. age 25. <laughs> yeah. So finally, it was after this little short-lived grad school thing. I had this conversation with this friend that's always going to be in my memory. And um, I was just like, uh, you know, like everything was going great. I had, I was doing well in grad school and I was getting paid to get my master's and blah, blah, blah. And I, But I was just unhappy and I was just miserable. And my friend was like, well, what do you want to do? You know, like you look miserable. Like, what do you really want to do? And I was like, well, I just want to go live in the woods. And my friend was just like, well, go do it. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, I can't do that. And I had, you know, I don't, ha- I don't know anything and I don't have money and I don't have X, Y, and Z on all these excuses. And, um, my friend Naomi was just, she just was like kind of popped bubbles, you know, popped all my bubbles on all of those. And I decided that night, I was like, okay, I'm going to, quit grad school. I'm going to grow out my hair and I'm going to move out West and I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to be outside. And, um, yeah. So that was kind of the start of this actually living for myself, actually, um, being in touch with my authentic, you know, my authentic self and what I wanted, not what I thought I should do. So it seems like there's always a Naomi or Naomi in, in everyone's story, like, like all of the heroes journeys in, in some way or another have someone who, to use your metaphor, pops the bubbles, um, and frees you to take those first smallest steps. And sometimes they feel like giant steps. And then like looking back, you're like, I just, I just moved to Wyoming or what, you know, whatever. And like, that's not that crazy of a step really. Um, Mm -hmm. but, but momentum is something, uh, that is actually crazy. And so you take this first step, what, you know, how does it start to un- unwind? Because it's one thing. And so I didn't grow up with, um, like, a my father isn't a hunter, wasn't a hunter. Uh, and so it's one thing to have a dad who knows how to hunt and maybe, you know, you, you process a deer or two a year for your entire childhood. Mm-hmm. That would be a, what I'd call extreme version of survival skill training as a child, which I know isn't true, but like it's leans far on that side of the spectrum. Sure. Uh, it goes, it, that, that's one thing. And entirely other thing is like bow hunting and tanning and doing all of the things that I, I see you're doing today. And it doesn't seem like that long of a time from, uh, when you got started to, to today. And that sounds incredible as a journey. So like, what are the early days of this? Yeah. Uh, self-discovery yeah so I mean let's see I guess I just want to yeah like preface like my you know my dad was a hunter and a fisherman Mm -hmm. and you know his dad was not really that and so there's just so much nuance to hunting and fishing and then tanning the hides which my dad knew nothing about you know and it, it really feels like this generational learning right that like my dad shot with a compound bow and like okay. you know which is which is cool but he didn't like make it himself you know but with but that set me up at a good starting point to move into the next stage of like depth and connection with bow hunting and yeah. connecting to the animals and um 
Yeah, so I guess I just want to prep. It was like, it's, it's people underestimate how involved these skills are. You know, like someone will post on Instagram, like, ask me a question, like, how do you make arrows? And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, like, okay, like, there's so much to say here. Like, well, where do you live and what season is it? And what are you shooting and what's your bow? And like, you know, there's just, it's so deep that yeah. I think I just want to like plug that first. That this is like a deep remembering, which is the name of my immersion program, you know. Of, of... And, and I tried to capture that in, in the knowledge that it is, it seems like there's a lifetime of information that can take mm -hmm. you from using a high speed, I'll say high speed compound bow that you buy at Dick Sporting Goods and then mm -hmm. recurving a, a stick, <laughs> mm -hmm. getting enough mm -hmm. tension on it to propel something. And then yeah. process and like all that that just seems like the rabbit hole expands and is um it is could be so deep that the process of getting there could be overwhelming. And so mm -hmm. I find it very interesting that at twenty five or so, it's not like you even though you you might have had more exposure to hunting than the average person, mm -hmm. you were still at the very, very kiddie pool depth oh, of yeah. this experience. Absolutely. That's what I say all the time. I was like, if I could go back in time and hang out with native, you know, Americans 10,000 years ago on this continent, they would laugh at me. They would think I'm the weirdest <laughs> adult baby ever. They're like, why are you doing that? Like, that's stupid, you know? And that's I, that, that humility just to laugh at ourselves of these like goofy, awkward humans that forgot how to like do human things on our own planet, on our own, you know, or a new yeah. con on this continent yeah. is, is it helps me remember that no matter how much I do and how much I learn, like I got mountains, you know, in front of me that I'll never know. And it's really just, I'm just part of this greater thing of us humans trying to remember how to live in reciprocity with this landscape. So, um, so yeah, so I kind of all got started, like you said, at, at, at 25, I quit grad school and I basically said, okay, I'm moving out West because West feels like the place to be. I don't know why. Gotta go West. Yeah. That's, it's always yeah. been the case. You just go West. <laughs> and I ended up finding the perfect job. I just kind of stumbled upon it. It was uh, wilderness therapy. Oh, cool. So out in Utah, there is a number of programs um, where at-risk youth, you know, kids age 13 to 18, um, get sent to wilderness programs for two to three months at a time. Um, so I got a job as a field guide at one of these programs, and my job was to make sure the students stayed alive. You know, we were out in the wilderness with no – we were sleeping in tarp shelters um, all four seasons, so – 110 degrees in the summer and then like negative 20 at night you know, in the winter. And, um, yeah. So first job was to, you know, make sure they don't die. And second job was to help them work through their, their issues, their, their hangups in life. And that could have been everything from, you know, video game addiction, um, to anger issues, to sexual abuse, to drug issues. Um, I mean, it was the whole, the whole thing. And in that, in my time there, I fell in love. So we use primitive skills to help um, create metaphors for these for these students. And during my time there, I just saw these kids heal so fast. I mean, like in a week, they would be different humans. Mm. And I think it was because there were no distractions, and because you're in the quiet, and you're moving your body, and you're eating 
healthier than what most of the kids were eating. And I just, it was about three months into that program that I felt so alive and so aligned with my mission in this world and was able to mentor. And I, um, yeah, I dedicated my life to, to doing that work. I, um, there's a cool epic long story that comes with it, but um, basically, I, yeah, I did it. I said I'm not, I'm never doing anything that's not like this ever yeah. again. And uh, at, but at that point too, like, did you already had you already had a lot of experiences out camping and like using those primitive skills, or did you have to go through training in order to become, you know, work in yeah. this field of wilderness therapy? Yeah, I had some experience, you know, with with hiking and camping, um, fishing, um, but nothing extreme. You know, I, I it was kind of I was still pretty new um, to it all, and so this program that I worked at, um, it's called Outback Therapeutic Expeditions. Um, they they take in people that don't have any experience really, and they kind of give you the basics. So you know, in that program, for example, all every fire every night was created with sticks, you know, like the, and the kids were responsible for it. You know, if you, if you didn't make a fire with sticks every night, well then you don't get to cook on the fire. Full on and friction fire, like a, a prim proper fire. primitive fire. Holy smokes. Yeah. yeah. So, so, these so, so day, <laughs> so this, <laughs> yeah. So day one, it's like, all right guys, we're going to teach you a uh, friction fire. Yep. Pretty much. Whoa. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, there's a little, there's, yeah. you know, there's a little week there where we give them a little bit of um, grace not to have to make fire right away. But after that, it's it's pretty serious and wow. amazing how quick teenagers are definitely motivated by their bellies a lot of times. So, you know, you can learn how to make fire pretty quickly if that's I feel like that's... Any, anybody's pretty motivated by their bellies. <laughs> <laughs> but especially teenagers. But, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I kind of, you know, as, and then the coolest part of this, this program, you know, was that we, we use ceremony, um, we used, you know, rituals and, um, primitive skills to help further their, their learning. And your job as a staff was to learn more and more and more to come with these tools, right. To kind of have all these tools on your tool belt so that you could really meet these kids where they're at and inspire them instead of like, saying like, here's a therapy assignment, fill this out, right? You just mm -hmm. like bust out this like tan squirrel hide and just start, you know, processing it and working it. And then all of a sudden the teenagers are like, what is that? What are you doing? And it's kind of this coyote mentoring is what we call it, kind of tricky way of, of inviting them in to like, hey, isn't this kind of neat? Do you want to learn about it? Instead of forcing it upon them, which yeah. sadly so much of our education tends to be. So, and so how long were you uh, teaching uh, wilderness therapy out there. Yeah, I did that for like three and a half years. So I think I ended with around close, I think a little under 400 days on the trail. Um, so quite a while. Um, and I kind of became the skills guy, the skills, the primitive skills just like are so fascinating to me. And so I used to travel to their primitive skills gatherings around the country that happened throughout the year. And I would travel to, to those gatherings, learn some stuff and then bring it back to my company and, and teach and share. Um, and so, yeah, so for, you know, while I was living in Utah for about four, four years, there's where really where I got my start in primitive skills. And so I'd work for a week and be totally immersed in nature and totally doing primitive skills all the time. And then I'd come home for a week and have nothing to do, but primitive skills. And so kind of, that was kind of my, my crucible of, of learning, you know, where I really, um, 
learned a lot very quickly and just yeah. um, just fell in love with it. So, so would you say that you were you were you slept more nights out in nature that year than you did uh, in a regular house? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, absolutely. Because wow. I mean, you know, even on my off week when I wasn't in the field, I was camping a lot of times yeah. and outside. And so, yeah, I would say more than more than 50 percent for those you know three years i was outside more than i was inside and yeah, yeah crazy i crave that and so at what point do you make the move towards uh Asheville area north carolina yeah so after that um my girlfriend at the time we had met in wilderness therapy she was working as well and she went to warren wilson so she was a warren wilson um student or alum and she was like we should we should go in Asheville like th- those are our people you know like this is there's so many people doing primitive skills there and um so yeah so I said okay let's try it out and so I just moved not knowing anyone um and very quickly you know there um I broke into or met you know the primitive skills community here and um yeah, which it's it's a mecca. Asheville is a mecca for primitive skills and right. coming back to the earth. And I always tell people that I'm like, if I don't know how to teach the thing, you know, that you're wanting to learn, I know some, I know the person who does. Yeah, because uh, it's just so many people here that you know, whether it's like permaculture or unschooling kids or primitive, you know, natural movement or hunting or whatever. There's someone in this area that's teaching it. Um, so it's been really nice to come here and just feel, um, part of something much bigger, you know, and just kind of finding my, my niche in it. So that's awesome. And how long have you been in the Asheville area at this point? Just over four years. Yeah. So like, I guess almost four and a half now. Got it. And uh, to help kind of pace the timeline, because there's at least, I, I imagine, a big strike in the timeline is the first Naked and Afraid experience. That's just my assumption of what how sure. your timeline builds out. Yeah. Um, does that happen before you move to Asheville? Does that happen just after? Where does it yeah. sit? So my first... Um jump on the TV show Naked and Afraid was when I was just about done living in Utah. Okay. So I had um, was working in Willers Therapy for like two years, kind of developed some skills, then got to go on the show. And that was yeah, my, my first go around in Namibia. And then the second one was right before I moved to Asheville. I was actually living in Michigan for my home state for a few months. Got it. And then the most recent one was just last, just a year ago, last spring. Wow. And so did they, did they approach you and find you and invite you to come on the show or did you apply to, to go on this a, crazy expedition? I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I applied. Um, cool. I don't, Makes I don't sense. know why, but I saw the show when I was living in Utah and my girlfriend's godparents at the time had showed me, had saw, seen the show and it was relatively new. And they said, Hey, Luke, this is like what you like to do, you know, check it out. And I watched an episode or two and I remember the first few male contestants were like kind of just like jerks, you know, they're <laughs> like, men are better than women at this and we're going to, you know, and I was just like, and they like usually like really got their butts kicked by nature. And, um, I just remember seeing it and be like, well, I can do that and not be a jerk, you know, like I can survive <laughs> one day, not be a total jackass like this guy. So, um, 
so I applied kind of one night. I think I had like a couple beers in me and was just like feeling frisky and like, yeah, whatever. You know, I'll shoot them a, you know, an email thinking like there's no way in hell they're going to pick me. And like six months later, I'm butt naked in Africa, you know, wow. so it all happened very quickly. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about that experience. Cause I mean, well, A, I think let's explain a little bit for people who are maybe listening and they've never heard of this show before. Um, yeah, yeah. What's the concept? And then tell us a little bit about your first experience uh, naked sure. and afraid. Yeah. Yeah. So naked and afraid is this wild concept where um, they take one man and one woman who have never met each other, who hopefully have some primitive skills and take them to one location somewhere around the world and drop them off naked um, for 21 days. And the goal of the man and the woman is to hopefully work together and try to survive 21 days with almost nothing. Um, the first go around when I was in Namibia for 21 days, I was with my partner, Lindsay, and we had two items. We had, um, I had a tomahawk, like a little chopping hatchet kind of thing. And we had a cup <laughs> for boiling water. Um, I, I hear that, uh, cups and bowls and pots are arguably some of the hardest things to create. Is, is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Cutting tools and, and containers are very tricky to make in nature. A lot of times, um, the funny thing was is that our water was very clean where we were in Namibia, and we actually didn't need to boil it. So it was almost like we had one item, and the other <laughs> one was like this fancy cup that we got to drink out of the old centurions, you know. Um, oh, man. And then trying to describe what, you know. I read somewhere online that you had lost, in, in one of the seasons, 25 pounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my, so I've done two 21-day challenges, and in, in both of those I lost about 25 pounds. In my 40-day challenge in Colombia, I lost about 50 pounds. Wow. Uh, and I went in heavier. It, it, it seems like that would be a strategic thing to show up with some extra calories floating around. Totally. <laughs> okay. Totally. Back on the weight. But yeah, about 25 pounds lighter than even what I am right now is what I like to call like Whoa. my hunter-gatherer weight, right? Like where it's probably the most efficient for my body to be about 20 pounds lighter. And um, yeah, it's – yeah. So I mean – to try and describe what it's like. I mean, there's just so much that well, so, happens. Like and, what's like, what's like the first thing that goes to your mind? Like the, you're, they drop you off and you're naked uh, with yeah. this person who, I mean, did you, did you meet her beforehand no, or like meet so that you have an extra awkward, you know, first meeting. That's so like, like, Hey, I'm like, naked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the first thing is just like, it's awkward for like 30 seconds, you know, and you're like, all right, let's see what, you know, take a look. Okay. We're done. All right. <laughs> and then after that, for me, it was just like pure business, you know, I was like, okay, I'm in Africa and there are leopards around me and those look like rain clouds and I don't want to be wet. Like, let's get to work. Um, and that's a lot of what it is. You know, the, the nudity thing is great for ratings and it's, it's an extra layer of vulnerability that makes it so real. Mm -hmm. Um, but um, but yeah, you kind of forget about it, or at least I did. My Lindsay was different. She was very shy and she was always trying to cover up with, you know, with, as best she could. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just so much, so much to learn about hunger, what, what, what real hunger is and our relationship to food as humans, our relationship to death, our relationship to struggle. Um, I mean, it's just, gold nugget after gold nugget yeah. <laughs> to, to suffer that much and to challenge yourself that much. Um, what was the, just, what was the hardest 
like what was the most challenging experience like or is there a t- particular story or like encounter mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. i don't know nature out there that you found particularly hard yeah um you know in namibia it was definitely the cold at night there was just like this unrelenting I mean, it was, it was going down into like the upper forties at night and we didn't, I didn't have, I couldn't make, I struggled with making fire for a long time, which was kind of my like, Oh, I'm so good at making fire. My ego was totally attached to that. And, um, it really crushed me that I couldn't make fire from the landscape. And so not only was it this physical, you know, or emotional defeat, it was also this physical reminder for 12 hours every night where, Mm -hmm. you know, we'd be shaking like not like jaw shaking, like shivering, but like literally like whole body feels like it's convulsed, like you're sore in the morning yeah. from shivering so hard. And um, I remember this one time I, you'd kind of like half fall asleep, you know, just for five seconds. And then you'd kind of wake up because you're so uncomfortable, covered in bug bites and sunburn and, you know, just miserable. And I would I remember the feeling of I'd half fall asleep and I'm still shaking and shivering. And I would go unconsciously to reach at my feet towards this blanket that I had <laughs> had fallen off of me, right? That didn't, that wasn't really there. But uh, and I'd reach for it, and then I'd wake up and realize I actually there was never a blanket, and yeah. I was just dreaming. And it was like this complete despair feeling where I just have nothing to cover over my body. Um, so yeah, that was one of the that was definitely the most difficult for me in all of my challenges was dealing with that cold without fire. Yeah. Um, and, and the con, so it, it'd be one thing if you just dropped an average, you know, uh, call it American into a, a landscape and said, survive mm-hmm. for 21 days. It's another thing that you had at that point had about three years of over 50% of the time outside. You've taught some of these mm-hmm. skills, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, uh, I've taken some courses, right? So I'm mm-hmm. like, a uh, kind of. I have some dabbler. I, yeah, well, I'm, I'm very interested and in I've just only had ex, yeah. uh, exposure to a couple courses. And one mm-hmm. of the ways that I've heard it described in the past is like, you don't set out to make fire. You request fire. And like, that would be like a ancestral yeah. language mm-hmm. for it. Like you're requesting that this thing show up. And the mm-hmm. second you think it's coming, it, it doesn't, it's like a cat, mm-hmm. like fire is like a cat in some way you can't call it. Um, mm-hmm. and so that, level of exposure to the things and then the had you tested yourself in like getting ready for naked and afraid in a way where you're like all right i'm gonna go outside in this new landscape and just try and survive like what is preparing for something like that look like and i ask because i don't think the average listener is ever going to try to participate Mm -hmm. on naked and afraid but like what are ways that we could attempt uh, as call it a, a normal population or people who aren't overly exposed, like what are beginner steps or how might you test yourself in a way like naked and afraid, um, mm-hmm. call it, you know, uh, REI'd and still afraid. <laughs> sure, <laughs> you know, like, sure. like, well, how do you prepare? Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, I think it's important to make a distinction before I get into that of, I don't think everyone should do this, you know, like, is there value in it? Yeah, absolutely. I think I just, my personal medicine or essence in this world really enjoys pushing myself, right? Mm -hmm. I mentioned that about the sports, like that's what that allowed me to do. And so I think for me, I just happen to be this subset of nature people that wants to push myself really hard. I'd like to like 
call myself a bro Magnon man, right? It's like, I still have this bro culture, but it's like in this hopefully healthy bro culture, but it's in this nature connection kind of way. Um, so that's, that's great for me. I like yeah. that, but I don't think that's necessary for people, you know? Um, there's so many ways to connect to nature, whether it be crafting or bird language or hiking or gardening or, you know, even mentoring. I think what, what rewilding or what I'm trying to help create is not just these physical skills that are important, like hunting and fire and right. All these kind of like more young skills. It's most also about these more yin things about how we connect with each other and how we deal with our emotions and how we, um, you know, have rites of passage, you know, for teenagers and, um, respect our elders. And so it's like, I'm literally hoping, you know, I want to be in a community that has all of those aspects. And I just happen to be the bro-y <laughs> person who's teaching the hunting and the and the tool making and all that because that's what I like and that's what lights me up and that's what makes me happy. So, um, But there is value in regardless of where you're at and where your edges are at to be able to push yourself to that edge is so valuable. And so I guess I just want to give so much love and grace to people of like, you know, wherever you're at, that's beautiful. Find your edge. You know, if it's going out by yourself for a night in your backyard and that feels edgy, do that. That's perfect. You know, and if it's like hiking the Appalachian Trail, great. That's great, too. You know, I just want us to um, as humans, we're not going to get anywhere if we don't find our edge. And it's so easy for us to compare ourselves to each other that, you know, we just got to say where we're at and be honest and remember that we're little kids you know, in this earth and we've forgotten how to, how to, um, how to live in this world and in a, in a good way. So, um, but yeah, so it's really, I guess just finding where you feel that charge in your body, you know, where you're like, Oh, if I camp three nights by myself and like, you feel that like little, like, Ooh, I don't know. That's, that's a good sign that that's doable. Mm -hmm. Um, that that might be at your edge and that will probably create some growth and some learning experiences. Awesome. I, I, I agree. I, I once had a, there's a joke about, uh, sat like this heavy comedian, John Panette had a joke. He went to a doctor and the doctor said, uh, good news and I have bad news. Bad news is you're wildly overweight. Um, good news is, you know, you can, you know, the diet that I'm prescribing allows you to eat as much salad as you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like salad isn't even food like salad is the idea like when i see salad i think food is on its way uh and so one of the ways that i would describe like that feeling that you're talking about that like is salad like the fear salad it tells you that something good is on its way if you just move you know if you move towards that feeling when it shows up that's curiosity uh whatever the language you want to use for it but like Mm -hmm. I, I, in every story I hear, the people who move towards that feeling mm -hmm. never have bad things to say about their experiences that come afterward. Like maybe they bought bit off more than they could chew, but they were like, all right, so, but I, tr I tried the thing and now mm -hmm. I know that that is probably a little bit more. And there's a version like less than that, that I started at. And now I'm well past the hard part. And I, I love the language of finding your edge and I love you know, thinking of salads as a promissory note that food is on its way. I think the both, the both of those are great. <laughs> yeah, that charge is something, you know, a lot of people, I often 
get people to f- try to feel that connect to that as well when they come to me and they're like I want to learn skills and I'm like cool what, what do you want to learn like like I just said there's a whole world of soft skills hard skills you know communication skills crafting skills like what 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 do you want to learn and they're like I don't know and I'm like well read some of them and then see where the charge is in your body right and our bodies are so wise mm-hmm. and it's just like it's in our psyche or it's in our brain of some story of like, well, I don't know. I guess I, I guess I like baskets. I've always wanted to learn how to make baskets. I hear that, you know, and kind of help these people give themselves permission to follow whatever their body really wants to do and courage to, to go towards that charge. Well, I, I love that. And I'll tell a little bit of our story is that Sarah's this incredible home cook. And, uh, the, my experience having her in my life has been, Oh my God, she pays so much attention to the food choices. And when we were in New York, she'd like ride on a bicycle for miles to go to the Whole Foods that was near us and like bring it back. And I'm like, she cares so much. I have these things that I think I care about, but I've never actually like explored them. And so I went, I I like set this whole kind of uh, learning. I called it like man scouting. Like I wanted to go (laughs) do things that I felt like a boy scout might have learned decades before um and i went hunting with a friend of mine who's like his whole life had hunted with his father mm-hmm. and so i processed my first duck uh in december of 2018 and i nice. felt uh i felt that if i if i didn't go hunting and i didn't try and process and like harvest an animal uh, a that was there was an issue with my relationship with food that I needed to sort out. Then I Mm -hmm. felt that if I, if I went hunting and realized that it freaked me out way more than I was prepared for, then there was definitely a problem with my relationship with food and I would need Mm -hmm. to work that out. And what I found, and I was very thankful for it because it like confirmed an assumption, but I was thankful to find I'd never felt more human than in this like really important process for me of, of, harvesting two little ducks that you know that morning were flying around didn't know that it was going to be their last day and like it was i was i'm sweating thinking about it but it was like a huge deal for me uh mm-hmm. and i i wonder like how it's it's oh man so like my process i got pretty clear on what the steps might look like i got i i looked at my network and i saw who i might reach out to and then I, i've continued to go in some ways down that path as a first step, it doesn't necessarily seem like uh, going hunting is the right fit. Is the first step looking for a holistic survival school nearby and and like starting in a program, or is it is there something in the middle? Is it a you know we we work with the butcher shop in town? Is it like mm-hmm. learning to break a chicken? Uh, which honestly, now that I think back, was the trigger to go hunting because I thought that buying a whole chicken for the first time in my life was one of the most crazy processes. I experienced it. I'm like, and it came in a plastic bag. <laughs> <laughs> they do. <laughs> <laughs> like how, how just, can this, they just come like that? Like they how grow can this like be that. the craziest experience? <laughs> it, it, it showed up in my house in a plastic bag. This is the best experience I've ever had. I need to go further. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where do you think people could start or should start or it's different on everybody, but what are examples, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. I think in the relearning, which I sure. love rewilding. I love, I love that as language to communicate this process. Yeah. The relearning, the rewilding, the remembering, right. Mm. Uh, 
I think I think it's great to start like I said, with that charge of just like try to find maybe a website or someone, you know, who has some experience or maybe because I remember when I was thinking about quitting grad school, I didn't even have an image of what life could look like connected to nature. Like mm-hmm. I always said, oh, I want to be a mountain man or a lumberjack, which is not really like, you know, mountain men trapped the crap and almost killed all of the beavers in America, for example, and lumberjacks like clear-cut forest like those are not actually what I was looking for but those were the closest examples of what I had in my brain in our culture of what I could do right so I didn't have this idea of rewilding and like trying to become you know me as a human trying to become part of this web of life right or this reciprocity these cycles I do I wasn't I couldn't even wrap my brain around it so it is important for us to you know if you can find someone who's kind of seen, been in the scene for a while or knows all the teachers. So yeah, I think start with that charge of what, what naturally are you drawn to and then ask around. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think everyone is different. And as, you know, as a mentor, once again, trying to come at this from a holistic view of like where your passions are and where your gifts are and where your edges. And with that, you know, um, like, I'm kind of getting this idea of there's these, like I mentioned before, there's primitive skills gatherings around the country. Um, One of the longest running primitive skills gatherings is just in South Carolina. Um, It's in the spring, it's called River Cane Rendezvous. And in the fall, it's Falling Leaves Rendezvous. You can look those up online. Um, Highly recommend it for anyone who's interested because what that is, is for a week, you know, 300 to 400 people will gather on this land and um, we'll teach these skills and we'll eat together and we'll sing around the fire, you know, and we'll dance at night. And the kids are off in their own like little feral pack of wild kids and the others <laughs> are over here. And it really creates this, you know, this the closest I felt to being in a, in a tribe or a village. And I love watching new people come in and you, they just kind of gravitate to where they want to go and where they're excited about what they're excited about learning. And so it's like this really like, you know, this, um, physical manifestation of the field of what could be in rewilding and like literally, you know, physically you'll just kind of like, Oh, well all the flint nappers hang out over there. If you want to make stone tools, they're that way, you know, and they kind of just gravitate naturally that way. So that's a great kind of, um, introduction to primitive skills or you can kind of dabble you know take this class on this day and this class on the next day and just see what what you enjoy and what kind of um yeah what you're drawn to so primitive skills gatherings if i haven't plugged that enough (laughs) (laughs) it will be in the show notes everyone don't worry um so i'm gonna sort of pivot and, and bring us back a little bit to your your own story um so you go on naked and afraid and then you go once and then you're go back again once or twice two more times two more times yeah, three times total. crazy um that's like that's bananas to me um <laughs> uh but so then what what led you to starting a survival school of your own here in Asheville? yeah um well i started holistic survival school just as like kind of a side thing because i wanted to teach adults you know i saw the value and potency of people getting away from their phones and getting outside and using their hands and being in community and basically since i stopped working wilderness therapy i said this is what everyone needs like this is <laughs> why why you know we don't get this as adults and very few 
you know, kids get it. Um, so that's been my mission is trying to figure out how to bring wilderness therapy to adults. And, um, it's been tricky, you know, it's been tricky to, so I kind of started holistic survival school started as weekend classes mm-hmm. where I would just have, okay, you know, four day class and we're going to tan a hide in four days, you know, come and hang out. And, you know, I'd get signups were hard, especially in Asheville when there's so many outdoor nature things. Right. And I felt, um, felt like it was hard to rise above the crowd in that way. You know, weekend after weekend, I'm trying to fill these, you know, 20 weekends for the year. And, you know, that's, that's a lot of people to try to sign. It's like 200 people. I was trying to get to sign up for a year. Um, and in these weekends, it was really beautiful. We would come together on the first day and we'd be strangers. And then we'd start working these things and we'd start sharing vulnerably. We were hanging around the fire at night. And, you know, by the, by the end, by Sunday, we were finally coming together as this like little mini, you know, unit of all these strangers coming together and having these connections and then the class was over and we were done and we would never see each other again. And we were just starting to get to the juicy stuff. Um, and as myself, with my background in psychology and holistic counseling and, and different healing modalities, I was always trying to go deeper, right? Mm-hmm. I love getting to the depth of, of our human experience and how we can heal. Like creating fire with sticks is great, but if it's not creating a story that makes us better humans and makes this world a better place, then what's the freaking point, right? Like I love primitive skills, but if it's not doing something to our psyche and to our community and to our connection to the natural world, then I'm not too in- interested in it. Um, so that's kind of the, the, why, you know, the duality of, of my school, I'm trying to bring both of those things together. Um, so yeah, so for a long time, holistic survival school was kind of just struggling of just like, just barely filling these weekend classes and I wasn't quite getting to the depth that I wanted to teach at. Um, and so then my girlfriend, I'll give all credit to my girlfriend, um, who is also an entrepreneur in Asheville. Um, she, she was just like, your business model is terrible. Like you need to, you know, you should, you should change it. And she encouraged me to do this, um, more immersion style. So basically the same thing I was teaching, but have people sign up for the whole package deal. Um, so that every, you know, weekend class I had was the same people showing up so we could create community. We could hold that container throughout the year. We could, um, come together and see each other in our strong points and see each other in our struggles. Um, that allowed me to get more depth, you know, so I could teach, like I said, primitive skills is very deep and very involved. Um, but also with the healing modalities. So, you know, doing breath work and releasing trauma, learning how to, you know, get that stuff out of us, right? Like ancient humans knew how to breathe and how to shake out the trauma and we've forgotten. So kind of pairing these two worlds up and, and doing that, you know, um, throughout the year with the same people really like changed, um, changed holistic survival school for me. So, um, yeah, so we, we actually, I actually just started in March, but, uh, we had our first weekend right before the big pandemic and it was beautiful and amazing and connective. And so it's kind of like very frustrating for me to, um, be on pause because of this, this great pandemic of the start of this new chapter of holistic survival school. I remember, I think the first DM that I sent you on Instagram was like the week after applications is closed. And I was like, 2021 i'm going to talk to uh, mrs <laughs> you and see about making this happen because it, yeah. I, I think that your i think that your girlfriend is correct i think that there is something really um the idea of 
going deeper and offering a deeper relationship and that deeper relationship also having a much higher ticket price is mm-hmm. a strategically good decision to make. Um, it, it's hard to have a lot of customers. It just is right. And it's, and it is a known in business that like having customers who are purchasing your service at what you might consider like a discretionary price point are mm-hmm. historically not great customer types. Like you want people to have to be sort of to think like, man, is this the right thing for me right now? Yes, no, it's a big commitment of time, money, whatever uh, you know, input that they'd have to give and then say yes. And when they do, they're gonna show up with a lot more enthusiasm. And uh, there's there's something really powerful about that commitment on the customer side that makes them mm-hmm. great customers. Versus like, it's a $75 two day class and you know, uh, I'm not even gonna send an email cause I'm not going, it's, it doesn't hurt me. Uh, I, don't, I don't care enough. It, it was a cool idea. And so I think that she's correct. And I think that uh, without knowing the market, I have to assume that what you're offering is also a pretty relatively big pattern break from maybe the rest of the market. And that also is a good thing. So hats off to, to her. How has that experience been in a, so the two questions I'm having is like, A, have you been able to do it? Did you put it on pause? And then B, have you seen like an increase in outreach in the, you know, the last two months we're in the, so this is 2020 as this is being recorded, we're in the middle of coronavirus uh, pandemic, but like, have you seen people reach out as they start to think, oh my God, what would it look like if... (laughs) we had to escape into the wilderness, which I don't think mm-hmm. is necessarily a good strategy for anyone right now, but like mm-hmm. have more people been reaching out? Not, I not wouldn't really. say so. No, not okay. I, at least not yet. Um, well, that's not true. I guess I did have a few people that like just missed the cutoff for the application process. And it was like kind of like early spring and the warm weather starts happening and they're like, Ooh, can I get in? And I'm like, Ooh, sorry. You know, like we already started. Yeah. And, um, I did have a few people once the pandemic started kind of, you know, want to connect to people. I think, you know, our, our quarantine, you know, social distancing, you know, kind of creates this backlash of like, I need human connection right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I did have some of that, but more so like I, uh, more so around community and less around the like fear survival. Okay. Um, although I have had some, you know, random, random folks reach out and be like, the end of the world is coming. Can I go? <laughs> you know? I'm like, oh, no, I'm okay. I'm okay <laughs> I love that. And I'm wondering too, if you've seen like a difference in the audience from, like if you've seen more locals joining this full immersion longer program versus people who you were just coming for the weekend from mm-hmm. other places, you know, um, travelers, have you noticed yeah. a big difference in, in that? You know, I thought I was only going to get Asheville folk for my immersion, but because it's one four day weekend per month, mm, it, okay. it allows people to travel. So I got, mm. Um, student in Florida right now. I have a student who's, you know, South Carolina, um, one student who's living in Oklahoma right now. So people are, I was surprised that people are traveling. Um, a lot of new folks to Asheville though is one, you know, I've had a couple students that are like, I just moved to Asheville and I think this is a great way for me to get introduced 
to the landscape to get introduced to some friends and some people. So I think that that makes a lot of sense. There's always new people coming into Asheville and I'm happy to be kind of like their landing pad, you know, to to help them feel connected emotionally and also connected to the landscape. And have you done anything marketing wise uh, or have you just sort of like put it out there and, uh, you know, people came or, or you know, yeah. is there a strategy <laughs> marketing? <laughs> I that's that's um yeah I have finally hired a marketing uh helper this mm-hmm. last fall and so it was a big push for me I think I announced applications in my program deep remembering um in September so like September all the way through December base or January I was taking in applications and um you know my my uh my marketing um peer really helped me uh realize how much um, material I already had, you know, like from Instagram posts and my, you know, a few blogs I've written, but he's like, you you got so much, every post on your Instagram is like, you know, it's, it's solid and there's plenty of there. And I, I was kind of in this mindset of like, I don't have anything to offer these people and these ads and whatnot. And so we hit, I hit it pretty hard on, you know, Facebook and Instagram. And it was kind of exploratory of like, I don't know what's going to happen. Will someone sign up for this? Who's never met me, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and, and answers. Yeah. Some people read, you know, resonated with my thoughts and stories enough and were so ready for change and something different that they said, yeah, without, you know, um, without too much interaction with me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'd say about half my class this year also met me at primitive skills gatherings and like mm-hmm. heard me tell a story about Africa around the fire and we're just like, you know, mind blown and like, <laughs> I want that. I want that experience, you know? So, um, kind of a 50, 50 mix. Um, yeah. Well, I, uh, as I think back to some of the first DMS to your Instagram account, uh, one of the things I remember saying was like, Oh wow. A call to action to join the email list. That's, you know, that's good, which is, it seems so basic. It's to me, like it feels 101 for mm-hmm. a business to do that, but that is not the truth, right? Like, uh, it, it, it's common, let's say, but not common practice. And, uh, yep. I'm wondering in your, I guess in, in, you have a gift, let's say, which is, uh, your background as an educator and teacher, you also have a gift, which is uh, the fact that you've been on this huge television show a couple mm-hmm. of times. And so mm-hmm. you have, you have an audience, but that audience who's on TV, you know, doesn't hear from you when you want to tell them something. Mm-hmm. And that audience who's on, you know, Facebook or Instagram might hear from you when you want them to hear something. And so mm-hmm. I, I just, I, when I saw that you had a call to action that said, Hey, join the email list that made me happy because I'm like, now you have this direct line to tell the stories that you want to tell, to announce the projects that you're you know, coming out with, what, whatever it might be. And that made me happy. Have you, have you been using, cause I don't remember seeing emails come out from you and I, I, that might be a me thing, but do you no, lean into email marketing? Yeah, I mean, so this is once again my girlfriend teaching me, right? And this is this is funny because it's kind of mirroring the like. And this is what I keep trying to tell myself when I do computer work and I do marketing stuff. I can get into like a shame inner critic, like I don't know what I'm doing. I'm an idiot. Just stop, you know. And I try to remind myself, like, okay, I'm the student who's coming to a primitive skills class who feels oh like God. they know. 
right? And I'm like, okay, marketing has something to teach me. I can relax and I can learn. So um, thank goodness for Luna, uh, who's actually my fiance. I forgot oh, to wow. mention that. Congratulations. So, uh, thank you. Thank you. She, um, yeah, she's been really like, you know, she's she eats up business podcasts and just loves it. Um, and she's like, yeah, you got to get your email list going, going stronger. So I do have an email and, you know, an email list. I don't do very well in sending out enough stuff on it. Um, you know, I think especially right now, I just kind of feel like I'm in a holding pattern where I'm like not fully taking in applications for next year. And like, still Mm -hmm. like, I don't have much to share about what I've been doing, but, um, well, that's probably not true either. So, um so yeah i'm getting nods from this side of the screen (laughs) the listeners were like that's a story that you're telling yourself is what we're nodding as we're nodding oh who am i you know (laughs) what don't worry about me so it's just um and that's why i love podcasts this is where i feel like i can get on you know and just talk it's just so much easier for me to to talk than it is to type and 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 to try to succinctly put down you know what I'm trying to convey without my inner critic just taking over you know maybe maybe we should invent I mean I guess you could in theory just do this but like an email an audio email newsletter that it's just you leave a little message and then you just send it and people can listen to it from your email I think that's that's saved everyone a ton of time is that a thing? Is that a thing? <laughs> I don't know. So I, we have, we we've had a guest on our show named Zach Greenwald, who is a, uh, he owns a gym in town and, uh, his only form of communication with like dozens or hundreds of members that are either in the gym or his personal clients is in little voice memos. He doesn't text because he's like the nuance and what I'm trying to deliver gets yeah. lost. And even the most perfectly crafted text message so he exclusively communicates via voice memo and i'm like that's actually sick like that's a really cool way um if only as a pattern break right like all of the text messages that a person gets and then they get your voice that's cool and so i don't don't know if that's an actual marketing platform that exists but uh one of the reasons why sarah and i started with this podcast a year ago is because I was like, there's no such thing as speaker's block. I mean, some people stutter, some people mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. get more nervous about the words. Mm-hmm. But if if I say, I'm sorry, what? They have something to say <laughs> to like mm-hmm. work that route in a different way. Mm-hmm. Whereas you could look at a screen and be like, I don't know the first word. You could fill silent air, uh, almost certainly anyone. And mm-hmm. so... Um, well, most people. And so I, I do believe that you're right in thinking that uh, podcasts are great because A, uh, there's no writer's block. B, you're able to just create on the fly and circle back if it didn't make sense the first time. And it just creates mm-hmm. more context for the message as opposed to uh, like a, a bad speaker can still convey a message. A bad writer can be... <laughs> It's oh, just God, like yeah. a train, you know, a train wreck. <laughs> totally. And that's what I say with like when people are trying to learn plants, you know, like, so I put my immersion on hold and one of the classes we put on hold is, you know, plants. And I was like, okay, y'all, I'll send you out zoom, you know, and here's some YouTube videos. And it's like, it kind of works, you know, yeah. but like we are designed to be these verbal communicators who tell stories and convey amazingly complex messages with our face and our hands you know what i'm doing right now while i'm talking and yeah. and that's how we learn and that's the best way to learn is to tell stories when i'm talking about plants so yeah. there's just 
you know, uh, writing and typing for me just is, is hard and it feels like I'm just like yeah. fighting against the grain in a way. You know? And specifically with plants, I've heard that one of the best ways to receive education with plants is to see <laughs> another human actually put it in their mouth. Because oh, yeah. you can tell me that this is safe, <laughs> and I'll be like, I just don't know. You know, like, I, it could maybe not be safe. And then, But if you eat it, then I'm like, all right, well, I'll try it. Okay, cool. That's, yeah. that's peppermint. Cool. That's fun. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just so that, that I, I agree. I, I, learning plants in a book, I've attempted a couple times. I'm like, I just, this isn't how I learn. So I'm mm-hmm. not... This is this doesn't light me up to use your. That's not the edge that I'm trying to find. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. It's tricky. The more senses we can get involved, you know, the more we're going to remember it. So I say, tell a story, tell a joke, smell it, taste it, rub against your face. You know, <laughs> all those <are> good. <laughs> I love that. Just that poison ivy all over my face. I'm like, <laughs> I, I did everything you said. You won't forget it. I'm sure it'll be a memorable experience. Maybe that's I need to do that. My email list, right? Yeah. Is yeah. Somehow yeah. get it on my face. <laughs> make it have smells. I'm not sure. Maybe not. Well, we got to think about that. Maybe we can make a email class immersion <laughs> class. I don't know, something like that. Um, we're on it. Really yeah, I mean, yeah. we're not far from from the truth <laughs> here. And but but I I love that you, your point, which uh, I want not to you know blow past, is that I've I, I love that you saw that in marketing, which feels foreign to you. There is if you approach it with a beginner's mind and this hunger to learn, rather ego, is a good thing. Like I, so I've I've taken at least two pr- proper outdoor survival type courses before and i've watched more people make uh feather sticks than Mm. uh any normal person should (laughs) i'll tell you what at 11 o'clock at night uh in almost zero degree or maybe zero degrees in in upstate new york uh, i for what felt like my life could not make a like feather stick and i've and it's so easy when you watch it on YouTube. It's so yeah. easy that how could it be hard? Um, but it, I'd say that I, it took me about two hours to turn a feather stick into a fire. Um, mm-hmm. And it was the most humbling experience that I've ever had. I can't imagine actual stakes, um, i.e. 21 more days of not being <laughs> able to use uh, the sharp knife that I had. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, and like have the, the the bumpers of a professional, you know, green beret next to me. Who, if the, if it got weird, like he had started the fires, like we would have been good. Uh, but sure. it was just so crazy, and it felt so. Um, it was just that that was a huge reminder for me that uh, it's the it's the actual application of the theory that counts, and not just mm-hmm. like you know, I've watched four hours of people doing this. I know that if I had to, I could that is not true it turns out yeah yeah and i think that's how sadly i i i need to learn in that way where my my girlfriend who's an amazing business person will be like i keep saying fiance my fiance who's an amazing this <laughs> first uh will be like hey you should do this and i'm like yeah you know like i have to experience the cold night yeah. of, of not yeah. having 
process to learn it. And then I'm like, oh, that sucked. Like no one signed up for this thing. Okay. Like now I get it. Now I'll listen. If we had been emailing this whole time, they might have. We got, we need to email this whole time. I get it. Cool. Um, I feel like Sarah is about to transition us in, in the conversation, but there's one last thing that I was thinking of earlier and it's, uh, so we're talking about ancestral skills and that kind of, that language is showing up a lot in the conversation. We've mentioned in past podcasts, the idea of like stoicism. And one of the things that's come up for me is this, um, I want to say Seneca was a person who, who championed it, but the idea of spending some amount of time every year or at every interval doing the thing that you're most experiencing the thing that you're most afraid of. So he would say, live on the street, beg for money, don't eat for days at a time. Um, mm-hmm. because that will remind you, uh, of just a, you know, give you a sense of perspective, but there seems to be a huge upside in doing the things that you might be most afraid of. And if, you know, it turns out that I am in fact afraid of like sleeping outside, uh, it gives me a sense of, uh, anxiety and fear that I, I also loved. And so, or, or being that cold or not being able to do a thing that looks so easy online, like all of those things give me an incredible amount of fear. And so I feel called to, to do that more and it's yeah. stoic. It's maybe human. I don't know, but, um, what's your take on doing the things like uh, starving for 21 days and losing 25 pounds. Should people do that so they know that they can do that? Is that the only way to learn it? I don't know if it's the only way to learn it, but I think it's an approach, and I think it's an approach for people, you know, who maybe have more like intense things in life. I would say that that's, you know, I tend to be more that way, like I've kind of mentioned. Um because I do things like naked and afraid and, you know, go hunt and run down animals in Australia with my bare hands because I, life is so easy for me. (laughs) I'm very lucky and privileged to have like a very comfortable life. And it makes me, helps me feel alive that like that, that there's a challenge in front of me, that there's something intense happening. Um, so that's, you know, I don't think like, it's not the only way, but it is a way to heal. And, you know, in my program, we, I talk a lot about, you know, healing trauma. And for example, the kind of the example I use is if, if we have, you know, trauma can be stored in our bodies, right? And animals, wild animals have that they get hunted and they're almost attacked. You know, they, they can tighten up. You can feel your body, you know, your shoulders come up and have this traumatic response, and in nature, we, we usually, animals can complete that cycle. So if something scary happens, our shoulders get tight. Maybe we're in a car accident or something like that, right? Our shoulders get tight, but then we never learn how to let go, right? We don't complete the cycle of, oh, it's okay, I'm safe now. And so what happens is this trauma gets stored in our body. Let's say it's in our shoulders, right? A lot of people have shoulder problems. And so we get this trauma in our bodies and it's like, oh, my shoulders are tight. Well, I should loosen my shoulders, Right. So you try to like relax your shoulders and you try to like, you know, deep breaths and only relax them. Um, You don't work out your shoulders because you're like, well, they're already tight. I don't want to use them. I don't want to stress them. Right. And what that's actually doing is not that's the opposite of what we need to do. What we actually need to do if we have tight shoulders is tighten them even more. Right. Is to really, really squeeze them. Ah, So then we can learn how to relax. And so there's kind of this concept with healing trauma 
that you actually have to squeeze that muscle tighter in order for it to relax. So we have to go to those dark, scary places within our own emotions, right, or within our bodies to to complete the cycle to heal. So, um, so yeah, so going to those scary places, let's say you don't want to feel fear, right, and you avoid fear at all costs or you avoid anger at all costs, well, that's going to, that which you resist persists mm. is a good saying, you know, and so if we don't go to those places, then it's it's going to remain that way. If I don't face my fear of sending out mails, you know, emails to my marketing list, that fear is going to sit there. And that, um, and so what I, I find huge value in going to those hard places and approaching the darkness, approaching the fear, and then realizing that, oh, actually wasn't that scary. It was my fear of the thing itself. That was the thing that was causing all the, the pain in my life and not, not the email or whatever. <laughs> so, so yeah, absolutely. Do, do the hard things, go find the thing that scares you the most and, and do that. Absolutely. Um, that's how I like to approach life and that's brought so much healing and, um, acceptance into my world that I would, I would let, I would encourage everyone to do that because life, most of the time we can sit on the couch and watch Netflix. So, you know, go do some hard things. I love that. Um, Luke, tell us a little bit about what's next, uh, for holistic survival school, but also just for you, what are, what are you kind of thinking about for the future? And I know of course that, um, everything with Corona has (laughs) put that kind of on hold, but let's say Uh once all that kind of, um, is, is over, what are you thinking about next? Yeah, I, you know, I'm with my immersion program with deep remembering, I'm just really excited to hone that for the next number of years and just really dive in deeper and deeper and, um, you know, hopefully build multiple year levels. So after your first year, if you want to continue and start mentoring, you know, as, as a second year student, um, to kind of come back and, and have part of that experience and kind of build this, you know, greater community, um, around this immersion program. Um, so I'm excited, you know, I, you know, applications are open for 2021. If people are, you know, do you want to talk through like maybe just on a high level, what that curriculum even looks like just conceptually? Yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah. So deep remembering nine month immersion program, one four day weekend per month, um, paired up with holistic counseling sessions as well. So each individual student gets time with me to, um, to kind of talk and work through, you know, um, any blocks that they might have, but basically every weekend is, um, revolving around one skill. So for one weekend, you know, in August, we'll build our own Osage bow, right? We'll build our own hunting bow. Um, the next weekend we'll build our own baskets. Um, you know, we'll tan animal hides. We will make bone tools. We will make stone tools. We will sew together, you know, moccasins or, um, you know, items from our tan deer hides. And the idea behind each one of those items is to bring, um, intention and ceremony and, you know, a, a greater metaphorical truth with each skill so that it's not just about, you know, learning how to tan a hide, but it's learning about how to take, you know, a stinky deer hide that no one wants and transform it into something beautiful and the magic of alchemy. And how do we take the thing, like we were just saying, the scary, dark thing that we don't want to face, how do we take that and learn how to take it in and transform it? So Mm. you can maybe start to get the feel of like kind of this metaphorical weaving with our actual, these actual physical skills that we're learning every weekend. 
Um, and then kind of combine that with, like I've mentioned, trauma healing, um, using somatic experiencing, which is just like feeling our bodies, um, counseling sessions, community, um, ceremony and ritual, trying to learn how to be a human in relation with this natural world. Um, yeah. And so every month, you know, we, we come together as a community and get to know each other and show up vulnerably and authentically, um, which, you know, I think in these times with this pandemic is it's exactly like it's like so what we need, you know, to be able to come together and share what it's like, you know, to to live in these times and to try to remember what it's like to be witnessed and to witness other people in 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 these difficult times um highs and lows so yeah so that's that's the big thing is i'm trying to go all all in with this immersion and i mean it's just it's been so transformative both primitive skills and these different healing modalities for me in my life that i can't not just like want to just share it with everyone in such a beautiful beautiful way so i'm excited to keep doing that about how big might a group B or a, a class, I guess, might be the language for it. Yeah, this year we have. I got nine this first year. Um, love to get it up to you know twelve to fifteen. You know, um, would be ideal. So. Yeah. And is there is there a world? I mean, I imagining that the next year is absolutely uh, high growth for you. And is there a world where you'd have like a class that meets on the first weekend and a different group that would meet on the second weekend, or are you trying to do? you know, one family, just one weekend, uh-huh. uh, a month per. Yeah, it's a good question. I think, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I would love, you know, I've, I've definitely thought about kind of doing tiered weekends like that, yeah. you know, as, um, men's like, work is another thing that mm-hmm. I've been really intrigued, you know, and excited about and sharing. And so I'm like, okay, maybe I could have my men, you know, men only kind of weekend thing. And then the, you know, the all inclusive kind of mm-hmm. one. So, Yeah. I, I, I just find it interesting, and I, I imagine that it's not a inconceivable future where 40 people would be good fit applicants, and I just don't imagine, I, then, I, then I begin to say, well, I, I imagine that the, there's a benefit to something like a 12-person group, mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. because then you're back in your science class where you have 30 kids, and you can't treat all <laughs> of them the way that you want to, and so there is, it seems like, value in, in having a small weekend tribe um but if the i guess if the demand side of the equation goes up how do you solve yeah. for that it's very yeah. interesting Sarah, That's why all, all i'm saying is nine months you're gonna have a weekend to yourself it seems in 2020 <laughs> go go <laughs> yeah. She's like, Please. yeah um Love that, to have you. I think that i think that's very uh cool and very exciting and i, I again love it and I love it as a way to uh, for you to double down on this very clear mission statement and purpose statement that you, you delivered at the top of the call. Um, awesome. And do you have more questions about the the future, Sarah? Uh, no, I was ready to go into I'm our thinking, speed I'm bonus some round. Speed bonus <laughs> round stuff could be cool. <laughs> and I uh, I might sprinkle like gear questions or or outdoor questions because that's what interests me as well cool. yeah yeah cool so we'll just ping pong ping pong back and forth a few questions to you um my question to you is if you had to bring just one item with you uh into i don't know the appalachian mountains let's just say uh, uh, uh 
your own version of naked and afraid, what sure. thing would you choose to bring with you? I'm bringing a knife. It's not very, it's not very entertaining, but you know, it's, we don't have a lot of good stone around here for, for cutting materials. So, um, either that, or sometimes I think about bringing a bottle of whiskey because then I could have a container. I could drink if I was really cold and miserable, or I could break it and make sharp things out of it. So that would be, that would be the cooler answer. But in reality, it's really my skin on the line. I'm bringing a knife. Got it. And, and just because now, to go a step deeper, because I, I think about knives, I uh, have it. Is there like a beginner's knife? You t- I, I typically see like Mora uh-huh. knife is like a, yeah. what se- people seem to point most people to. Like when uh, you think knife, are you thinking, you know, some four or five inch fixed blade type of a knife? Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mora is great for, you know, Mora Companion is like kind of the go to stainless yeah. steel, hard to beat up. You know, if you lose it, it was $17, no biggie. Um, yeah, no, I'm bringing my like, you know, custom, my custom knife that I've spent a lot of time with. It's about four inches and yeah, full tang and, you know, it's hardy and I can beat the crap out of it. I can chop big stuff if I need to, but most of the time, you know, you don't need to do big cutting. It's just little stuff. So that's Got probably it. what I'm thinking. Cool. Mm-hmm. So normally we would ask, you know, what's your favorite food here in Asheville? But what I want to ask you is what's your favorite food that you forage out in the wild? Like, is there one uh, thing that you find and you're like, yeah, this is gold. Oh, forage. Yeah. I mean, oyster mushrooms are my favorite. I just, I, you know, everyone's all crazy about morels and I, I love morels. Don't get me wrong, but they're so damn hard to find. And I'm like, I think oysters are just as good as morels. So. <laughs> I really love that, and we're in a good mushroom place here in Asheville. Um, but I think the best thing I've ever eaten in the wild is electric eel. We had, I had that in Colombia, and it was like the fattiest, juiciest, amazing. Mm. It was like you know six feet long and sixty pounds, yeah. and we're roasting it over the fire in little chunks. It was like the and best I, day of my life. I have to imagine when you're like really hungry that that oh, kind yeah. of like fatty protein just must be amazing. Yeah. yeah. Hunger is the best ingredient to any food. Is that is it true that like the fl- flavor of fat or fat in the wild is like the hardest thing to come by and like the the thing that your mm-hmm. mouth most loves when you get a chance to have it or is sugar? What do you think? Ooh, tough. Um, I think fat is like what makes the world go round in the wild. I remember when I was in Africa, I killed an impala with my while I was hunting with my bow and. I'd had the, the meat out and impalas are very lean animals, kind of like our white tailed deer. And I'd have a whole leg out drying in the sun, you know, or strips of it. Mm-hmm. And the ants would come and only eat the fat. They didn't care about the meat at all, but every animal was trying to go for that fat as fast as possible because it's just so powerful and packed with Cal- know, nutrition. Calorie and nutrient dense. But sugar is so... I mean, sugar's like the sugar on top. Like, it's like so amazing, but it's so rare in nature that, you know, I think it's, um, yeah, I mean, they're both amazing. I remember eating um, the liver of the impala while I was, hadn't eaten in like 10 days. And I ate the, you know, the liver raw, which is what most people around the world have done traditionally. And it was the sweetest thing ever. It tasted like sweet corn. I mean, the texture of it. And there is some sugar in liver, and that's why people eat it right away is because it's so sweet. And when you haven't had sugar in so long, it is like 
it tasted like candy. I mean, it was the best thing I've ever had. I mean, besides the eel. So, so yeah, both sugar and fat are really, really amazing in, in nature. Well, okay. That, that answer was so good. Thank you. <laughs> that, that answer was like sugar or fat. <laughs> so what about what's the thing that you miss the most when you're out in the wild about, mm. you know, I quote unquote, like normal life or life at, mm. at home. What's the yeah. thing that you miss the most? It's a good question. I mean, in some ways, sugar. I, I hate. I, hate, I feel so shallow saying that, but sugar is such a drug. Like I eat it, you know. Like I eat it somewhat regularly in my life, but it, it's amazing to go without it and how how much your body reacts. I mean, I was yeah. stuffing my face with meat and fat from the animals I killed on some of my journeys, and I'm dreaming about sugar still, you know. Yeah. Uh, Any particular form of sugar, like I don't know, do you go for Skittles or like? You know, yeah. cookies or like what? What kind of form? Well, it was like really mild sugars, like mm. bread. You know, like yeah. I didn't want like chocolate or super sweet. I just wanted like a bran muffin. You know, yeah. <laughs> like I was like, yeah. that sounds. <laughs> I really crave egg yolks too, which I've learned is like a phosphorus deficiency kind of thing. Mm. I always wanted runny egg yolks in in nature. Um, but beyond that, you know, I just comfortable seat. Like something cozy is really nice, whether that be my dog or my fiance to cuddle or mm -hmm. just someone to like, you know, soothe my nervous system with. That's what yeah. I missed a lot. Yeah. Can't beat the cuddles. Tell you what. <laughs> the hardest, most hardcore survivalist in the world. But deep down inside, we all need some cuddles. <laughs> I mean, and, and there's something to be said about um, is, a thing that I've heard is this is a sound like the sound that will most help a human fall asleep is the sound of a dog sleeping because somehow or another it like allows you to relax because you know that the dog would hear it if there was right. something to be worried about. And oh, so totally. there, I think that your point on like a cuddle and like a bedmate does seem like a, uh, a really true. Or like now I, I struggle to fall asleep without Tony, like in the bed physically uh -huh. with me. Like if he's upstairs watching TV, I'm like, you need to come downstairs now because I can't fall asleep without you. <laughs> it's something, it's just weird. It's like, I, I can sense that you're there or not there and mm -hmm. uh, can't sleep. Well, yeah. We're extremely social creatures that yeah. are very vulnerable by ourselves and our dogs. I have a sweet wolfy dog and, He's, you know, what I say, the, our, our primitive alarm system, yeah. you know, like barking is weird. Like that's a weird thing for an animal to do, but it's like literally telling us back, you know, 10,000 years ago when there were American lions and a whole bunch more animals that would eat us, um, dogs were extremely valuable in that. So we still have that part of us in our bodies that just wants our nervous system can't relax or it's harder to relax if we don't have a person who's kind of like looking out with us or yeah. a dog that's mm -hmm. we're built for. Yeah, yeah, one of the things in like in walking in the woods uh, that I I only learned in a, in a class is just it's some I'd say the average person is is very um, like when on a hike is very destination focused like I want to get to the top I want to get to the lookout and I want to get back to my car um, and one of the things that is missed often is like the noise of the space. And how much you can learn about what's happening by the noise of the space. And so I was in, um, you know, the Hudson River Valley. And it was very loud. 
with just sound. I don't know, like sound. And then all of a sudden it would get quiet. Mm. And the people that I was with, like, I didn't notice it the first couple of times, but they're like, did you notice that the squirrels stopped talking to each other? Mm-hmm. Like, what mm-hmm. What do we think might have happened that the squirrels have stopped talking? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't, I don't know what the answer is still, but like, it, it's, a, it's an alarm system that wasn't a dog even, but that could have communicated something happening in the surrounding area. And it's easy to miss because I don't think we've been on wired like that's something that i don't think would have been possible to not notice Mm -hmm. and it was almost impossible to notice for me you know an iphone user (laughs) right right yeah bird bird language is like the big skill it's not necessarily like identifying birds right in the wild but bird language is the birds are the voice of our ecosystems and they're always communicating to us along with squirrels and other animals but most you know birds big time talkers and so they're always talking to us and there's a famous teacher john young who spent a lot of time in south africa with the bushmen there and their culture is built upon bird language you know like they're always paying attention to what the birds are singing you know and john one of his first trips there tells a story where he's like oh my gosh how do you how does this six-year-old know what the birds are saying and what that means and like you know and the bushmen were like well if he didn't pay attention the lion would eat him you know (laughs) it's just our way of life and um you know john kind of likened it to if we if we uh, brought a Bushman child to New York City, they would be like, how do you know not to cross the street right now? <laughs> you know, it's like, well, we pay attention to the signals, you yeah. know, that we grew up with that seems so normal. Yeah. But to, 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 to them, it would have been novel. So, wow. yeah, good stuff. Yeah, that is good. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the last question uh, of the speed round and really, I guess, the interview is our magic wand question, which is um, if we had a magic wand or someone in our audience had a magic wand uh-huh. that could grant you any wish, what one thing would you wish for in this moment? Oh my God. Answer <laughs> <laughs> that question. That's so good. Uh, I think. It would be to magically transport me to 13,000 years ago in North America and I could go on a woolly mammoth hunt with Clovis culture people and get to participate in a megafauna hunt with stone tools with fellow humans, I think. It sounds so silly. I, I'm embarrassed <laughs> that I'm tearing up right now, but like that's how much my soul feels. That's what I want so yeah. badly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I think I would, I think I would do that. Wow, that's a good answer. That's a, that's yeah. a, and that's a very, that's an appropriate type of response to this question. That is so uh, unique to you and perfect, and it makes me think of. The movie that I think Sarah most verbally communicated her appreciation for that we watched recently, which is called <laughs> The Croods. Have you heard of this children's cartoon? <laughs> so it's it's a it's like it's not Pixar, but it's something. It's like maybe DreamWorks, um, but it's called The Croods, and it's about this family that were like uh, a cave, cave family. family that were cave dwellers 
that were uh-huh. like hyper afraid and not sophisticated and uh-huh. and meeting uh this guy who's like a more so I don't know the exact language on it, but he's more of like uh, a homo, homo sapien versus sure. like Neanderthal. Sure. And this guy's like captured fire, and they're like, "What is that? Like, how did he do?" <laughs> and it's it's really cute, and it's a it's a I don't know. Sarah was eating it the whole time; she's just <laughs> laughing, and I'm like, "This is so funny that you love this movie." Uh, and there's you know some megafauna and crazy animals yeah. and the original. No, it, it's not cool. it can't grant you your wish but i think it's probably the closest to <laughs> like the cutest the version of that that you could watch right now <laughs> that's good it'll soothe me a bit yeah and so i'll say i guess if um if i were to just add a final question is there forms of media call it a movie call it books call it um, anything that you think paints worthwhile ex- experience offering if only through perspective like insight into some truths. And so uh, an answer might be, um, you know, these books on uh, primitive skills are very informative, or it might be this movie actually is like a really good take on what it is to be alone and afraid and a hunter. You know, I think, I think the, I haven't found a lot of good books or things that convey the feelings I feel or the connection both spiritually as well as like physically, um, or it's hard to find good braiding sweetgrass is one of my favorite books that, that gets into that. Um, but I think, you know, here's the point where I just kind of like all the things I'm describing and, and, you know, my, my desire as a human to be connected to the cycles of the earth and my desire to have community and my desire to have rites of passage and to have certain songs I sing to certain plants when harvesting at a certain time of year, you know, this like beautiful, um, in-depth connection to the land is just indigenous people. You know, like that, that is what I'm trying to recreate, whether it be North American, you know, you know, Native Americans or what we once had as, you know, uh, as my ancestors had as European, you know, descendants. Um, And so I guess that's my biggest inspiration for people is to, I'm not, I'm, I'm a white dude in North Carolina trying to relearn these skills and I don't have to reinvent the wheel. You know, there's some beauty in that, but the Cherokee people, you know, knew how to do all of the things I'm describing. And so I guess that's been my biggest inspiration is reading as much as I can about indigenous humans around the world and how beautiful and ingenious and, you know, that, that the crudes, you know, is like kind of this rough caricature of what, what society or what civilization tells us we were as ancient humans. And that couldn't be further from the truth that we were, so much wiser, you know, 10,000 years ago in a lot of ways, because we, we knew we were more likely to live in reciprocity with our land and the things that we deem ourselves smart for all these new technologies are the thing that are actually like going to poison us and kill us eventually. Right. So, um, so anyway, so I guess my plug for all that is, is learn native wisdom and, and be inspired by that, that like, you know, that we're apes that, used to make canoes out of whale skins and like, you know, like could travel the, the, around the world and live healthy, successful, happy lives. That's, 
that's been my biggest inspiration and my biggest um, goal as a human and my, you know, what I'm striving for every day. So love it. And I, I think that might be a perfect way to wrap this up. So thank, uh, we'll just do the last, last, last question, which is how <laughs> would someone who is so intrigued by this conversation that we've had, how would yeah. they find you, connect with you on the World Wide Web or Internet mm -hmm. at large? Yeah. Um, HolisticSurvivalSchool.com uh, is the best way to find all my offerings. Um, follow me on Instagram and the YouTubes and all, all that as well. But if you go to HolisticSurvivalSchool.com, that's got all the all the links there. So. Perfect. Best way. Well, thank yeah. you so much for making time and having this incredible conversation. We look forward to post quarantine, um, maybe coming to the school, visiting yeah. you, and seeing what's going on Please. on the actual grounds. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. And that was episode fifty-five with Luke from Holistic Survival School, Sarah. I mean, I feel uh, inspired and at peace and so curious. I want to like, I don't know, uh, I want to go on a hike or I want to like... I want to go outside right I want to go outside, yeah. So uh, we're going to skip the exit. And, no, I'm kidding. Uh, so that was a very, I think, different podcast episode for us. I absolutely loved it. I think that uh, Luke is onto something and I look forward to the future uh, more than already, uh, because I, I really want to go visit that school and, and yeah. learn some of those things and be taught by, by Luke. I think that, um, he sold me on this, <laughs> this conversation. I'm he sold me. I mean, I'm not even, like you talked about before, like I'm not as into survival skills and like, I like camping, but like the like bougie kind of camping. And um, so even me, I'm like, oh yeah, I want to go do like a four four day weekend with Foraging, Luke and like basket making. Yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah. It's All just, right. It's like a spiritual journey. That's very interesting. Anyways, if you enjoyed this episode, we would greatly appreciate it if you could a leave a review if you haven't already done so. Um, you can do that on Apple Podcast. Uh, it's pretty simple and I think intuitive to do. Just click leave a review, uh, say some nice things about us. It helps other people find this podcast and discover us. And the second thing um, we'd love if you could subscribe uh, both to our podcast on your favorite podcast player and to our newsletter. Uh, our newsletter is where we send out new episode announcements, uh, behind the scenes information about each episode, as well as any upcoming events and announcements. So we typically announce those first to our newsletter. So they have first dibs. Um, you can do all of that at making it in forward slash subscribe. And if you had any questions about this episode, um, or wanted more details, those details are all found in our show notes page, which is making it in ashville.com forward slash zero five five that's the episode number uh and our main domain or you can visit making and click around you'll find it it's right there um, but this episode specifically had a lot of really interesting information we try to capture it all in the show notes page and so if you like this episode and are interested in learning more uh, visit the show notes page and lastly, uh, just a quick thanks to our sponsor, Range Urgent Care, for sponsoring this episode and this season. Uh, Range is doing things incredibly differently. They're reimagining healthcare in a way that no one else really here in Asheville is doing. Um, they offer things like 
completely transparent pricing so you know exactly what you're going to pay before you go in affordable pricing so it's 149 dollars per visit or if you have a yearly subscription you pay even i think you don't could pay be anything. less if you go a couple trips mm-hmm. uh, a year which is how i would i think be if i wasn't so damn afraid of emergency room costs uh, i think i would go to doctors <laughs> way more so this is a great opportunity that yeah. they are right here in our backyard in Asheville. And so if you're interested in that, uh, please visit makingitinashville.com forward slash range. And we have a first month free and a annual subscription membership. Um, and the membership size does not matter. It can be single family or business uh, or any other uh, subscription plans that show up over, I guess, the uh, remainder of this season. So please do check it out and tell them we sent you. And so that also means that if you go to their website instead of ours, you can use Making It in Asheville as a coupon code when checking out. So again, makingitinashville.com forward slash range or go to uh, Range Urgent Care and use Making It in Asheville as a coupon code. Our other sponsor is our own uh, very small but ever-growing marketing and sales and uh, messaging and branding business. We call it a creative agency called Making It Creative. Uh, We work with small businesses here in Asheville and around the country. I'm thinking about their messaging, their Um, their business specifically. So we go deep on who they are, what they're doing, and where the largest opportunities to create value might be. Because if we create value, uh, A, for them as a business, we're also creating value for their customers. And so we're thinking about things like website messaging. We're thinking about email marketing. We're thinking about um, whatever might be the next best fit and thing to test and try. Um, And it's been a thrill ride in the first year in business. We are excited about year two. If you're interested in learning um, and starting a conversation with us about marketing services or consulting or whatever uh, way we can add value, uh, we're open to it. Just visit makingitcreative.com and you'll see exactly uh, what steps to take to begin that process. And lastly, if you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this podcast, please reach out. You can nominate them or yourself at makingitinashville.com forward slash podcast. And also don't forget to come to our monthly Monday Maker Mixer, which you can find more about on the events section of our website so we can meet you in person and hear a little bit about your story. Um, We're always looking for new and interesting people to interview here and we'd love to get to know you. And there was a metaphorical, not literal, but asterisk on the in-person. We are aware that in-person events might not be still cool in May of uh, <laughs> Did 20... I say in-person? You did it say in-person. <laughs> it's but, like autopilot. <laughs> but it's true. We like to be in-person when we can. May 2020, uh, the answer might be uh, virtual. So either way, it's face-to-face, whether it is a computer screen yeah. or in uh, the, the physical world. It is one of our absolute favorite things to do to see this community grow and get to connect with one another is uh, a gift. And it's a part of our mission with this uh, with this whole enterprise here, the Making It in Asheville podcast. So with that, holy smokes, ladies and gentlemen, we did it. Friend Sarah, episode 55. That's, uh, that's a wrap. High, High five. five.